Uh, great to see you. If you've got a Bible and you want to turn it uh, to Romans 1, that's where we're going to be most of the time uh, this morning. We are in a heaven series. This is week two. So if you missed week one, Jake started unpacking um, what heaven is and what it's like and all sorts of um, really great things about that. I had the opportunity this last week for my work. I work for Stronger Families, which is a really great nonprofit um, who helps military um, families. And I got to go to Fairbanks, Alaska, because we work with chaplains. And so I got to go up there and kind of do some things there. And so I found myself on a plane. In fact, we got a free upgrade to first class. Very rare. I didn't even know what to do with myself. Uh, and because Stronger Families was taking us there, I got to bring Ruth for, you know, just the price of her ticket. Everything else was paid for. So awesome. Except we were going to Fairbanks, Alaska. Um, but anyway, so I found myself on a plane, and I found her, you know, we're turning the corner for the runway, and, uh, and I remembered how horrified I am to fly. Uh, I hate it. I absolutely hate it. And then I remembered we're in a heaven series, and the brink of eternity is on our brains and all this stuff. And I was like, God, oh, great. This is for me and Ruth, because he's just preparing us for glory, and we're about to die. Um, so... So we got into the flying tube of death and took off, but here I am. Miracle made it. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Anyway, uh, we're in a heaven series, and the concept is this. Uh, Jake kind of started unpacking this. Our lives are on this timeline, right? He used the ro- uh, this long rope to illustrate this. Our, our timeline is rushing toward eternity. It's like our timeline, our life is rushing toward a door. So this is Jake's office, if you didn't know that. Uh, This is a door to his office. It's a very nice office. So we'll use it to illustrate heaven. So your timeline is rushing toward a door, and what Jake is trying to do with this series, and what we're trying to do, is unpack what is behind that door. Because we can't see it. We read about it, and we hear about it, and we can even have a notion about it, but it's so, like, it's foreign, right? And so what we're trying to do in this whole series is say, what lies behind that door, and how amazing is it going to be? But here's the thing about today. I want everything that I say to add to the, the, the glory, the suspense, the, the everything about what this is going to be, but I'm going to come at it from a different angle than just staring at what is beyond this door. Because sometimes the best way to understand something is to understand its alternative. It's just reality. It's how we work. Uh, my son had the stomach, uh, stomach bug, stomach flu, something like two weeks ago, for like two days, and in that, I could see it in him. You never long for normalcy more than when you have the stomach flu. Like, all I want, Lord, is to be normal again. I will do everything for the rest of my life for you. I'll never sin again if only I could stop feeling this way. You, you don't appreciate normalcy so much as when you have something going on like that or a thousand other things that happens to us, right? So because of that reality... I, I know it's a, a kind of a, a different angle, but the way we're going to focus on heaven is actually by focusing for a few minutes on this door. This is no one's office. It's a storage room right now. But our first hire will live in that office, and they will forever know, be known as living in hell. <laughs> because that's the illustration. I'm sorry. So what I want to do is I want to talk about this, and the, the, and this reality, but because of the nature of this series, and the reason that a lot of us are here in this sense of hope, I'll tell you what I'm not going to do. I am not going to try to answer today who is behind that door, 
I'm, I'm not going to try to answer what it's like behind that door. I'm not going to try to answer the when question, when, when do people get there, how long is it, things like that. I really do only have one goal, and that is to answer one question, and that question is, why? Why does that door even exist? Why is it even a thing? Because that is, it's one of the biggest stumbling blocks, I think, to the whole idea of Christianity. We can get this. God is love. God, there's something amazing. He's, it's all that stuff. But then when you bring up this thing and this reality, it gets difficult to, to, to see how they interrelate. Because there are a thousand different things that God could have done, right? He could say, yep, there's a thing called heaven, and if you don't do whatever I say you need to do, here's what's going to happen, and it could be something, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. It could be, uh, we're gonna have, you're going to come to the end of your timeline, the end of your life, and we're going to sit down, we're going to have a little chat, and I'm going to be very stern with you, and I'm going to tell you you did it wrong, and then I'm going to banish you to a thousand years in Missouri, and that's going to be your punishment. And then you get to go to heaven. If you know, I mean, he could have done anything. We'd be sitting here reading it in the pages of Scripture and going, "Okay, that's what he wanted to do." So why do we read? It's not Missouri. It's far worse, which is shocking. It's 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 horrifying and everything it is. I went to basic training in Missouri. I get to say all sorts of grossness about Missouri. That's the question I'm trying to answer today. And there's all sorts of opportunities for for humor. I'm not going to try to like pound this or scare you or anything like that. I mean, the topic is hell, so I get to use that word as a teaching, like, you know, a, a teaching tool. I get to say hell all I want. How the hell are you? Huh? <laughs> I get to, because I want to lock this into your brain, right? That's the, that's the deal today. So with that, what we're going to do, if you have your Bibles, um, we're going to focus on Romans chapter 1 which is not all the Bible has to say about this topic. It's a fraction of what it has to say, but I think it unveils some pretty cool stuff. So what I'm going to do is have my wife read Romans 1, verses 18 through 23. Thank you. Very, very nice to hear your voice. Um, so let's walk through this. Uh, let's start with verse 18. For the wrath. So there's the word. It's not using the word hell, but it's what it's referring to is this idea that behind that door is wrath. That is, I'm not going to minimize that. It's awful. Okay, so that, that has to be th- a thing that we know and that we feel. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, of mankind, who by their unrighteousness, fill in the blank here. You gotta see, God could have had a lot of different things written here. This is kind of the first thing we gotta realize. Who, 
uh, wrath of God is revealed because of ungodliness and unrighteousness, and it's the unrighteousness of, that could have been filled in with hurting other people. Wrath of God is here because people hurt people, and that's bad, and that's the thing that makes God most angry. It could have been that. Or it could be the wrath of God is revealed because of the unrighteousness of disobeying him. It could have been as simple as that. Hey, Ten Commandments and more things, and if you disobey those things, wrath of God. He could have filled in the last line of this verse any way he wanted to, but it's very interesting to me that as we begin to unpack this, it's he, the, uh, wrath of God is revealed because of unrighteousness and ungodliness, and it's the unrighteousness of suppressing the truth. There is a truth that is being suppressed, and that is actually the reason why wrath is a thing and why this is a thing. And it, I think it explains it more. It says, so what, so what is the truth that is being suppressed? It says in verse 19, if we keep going, for what can be known about God is plain to them. So the truth that's being suppressed is a truth about God. It's about the nature of God. And it says it's something that is plain to mankind. So what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it. Which means whatever this truth is that's being suppressed is something that we can see. It's not hidden. It's actually something that mankind shares. We can all see it. For his invisible attributes, so it's something about God, it's something about his attributes. Namely, his eternal power and divine nature. And they have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of of the world. So what is the one thing that God has done that we can see, that we can perceive, and it's been there since the creation of the world, and we all share this, this common, common knowledge, this common ground that we can all see it? I think that if you boil it all down, what it comes to is one word, and the word is glory. I think that's something you can't escape. So even, even when I was flying to Alaska with Ruth, we're looking out the window, and for a while we're above clouds, and the sun is uh, kind of off to our left, and it's kind of approaching night, so we're flying up to Fairbanks, and all you see are these clouds forever, and it's like pink, and it's, I can't even, you've seen it if you've been on a plane, amazing. The thing that keeps coming to our brain is, wow, and she's clicking pics and all this stuff. Glory, right? That's the, the thing that we all share is this, we look around the world, we look at creation, and that's the word that we could say is, wow. That's amazing. Eventually, the clouds, you know, kind of parted a little bit, and you see Denali, like Mount McKinley, sticking through, white cap, everything. We look down at one point, and there's all these rivers, all this stuff heading up to Alaska, and it was a perfect illustration of what this is saying. Because you could be going to Alaska, or you could be in a desert, or you could be in a hundred different places, a million different places besides Missouri, and you could be saying, wow. Like, that's the one thing that I think uh, is uh, known about God since the creation of the world. And I think, not only do I think, glory is a thread that runs through the whole page of the script. It's the thread, I think, that holds everything together. From beginning to end, it's this whole idea of glory. So, so far what we've seen is the wrath of God is revealed because of the unrighteousness of, this, of the truth about God being suppressed, being belittled, being you know, put in a, a smaller container and being shunned, all these different things. And it's the thing that we can all see, and I, it's the glory. It's the glory of God. So if, I'll ask you a question. I want you to, to just kind of imagine and can consider 
If the uh, purpose of everything in the universe is to glorify, I want you to consider that, that everything in the universe, universe is meant to magnify the glory of God. Let me back up and say that again. I, I want you to ask yourself the question, what if the purpose of everything is to magnify the glory of God? What if that's what it was? What if it, it's God going public? God is a trinity, he's a father, he's the son, he's the Holy Spirit. They've got glory happening, but there has been no creation. It's just them, and there's all this amazing potential. And what creation is, is them saying, we've got to share this with someone. We've got to go public with this. And what happens is they decide to create. And the one thing that they're trying to do is to get everyone to go, wow. That, if, that's, if that's the purpose of everything, then what is the essence of evil? If you think about it, if the purpose of everything is to magnify the glory of God, then the essence of evil is belittling the glory of God. There is nothing more core to evil than that. That's the pinnacle. Anything else is secondary, if that's the truth uh, about the glory of God. So we'll keep going in verse 21, and then I'll unpack what I mean by all this. So verse 21 says, For although they knew God... Not a complete knowing, but what they've seen, what he's revealed. For although they knew God, they did not honor him or glorify him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So mankind decided to dishonor God. They, they, they failed to honor him. They dishonored him. They, they failed to glorify him. They, they suppressed his glory They didn't give thanks to him, but instead their thinking became food. It actually changed us. It says our hearts were darkened. So as as the glory of God was revealed, and we said, eh, and walked away from it, it's, it's saying that it actually changed us. Our hearts became darkened. It closed our eyes to what that glory even really is. And that's the path that we decided to walk in. It actually changed our very nature. So the the point with that is, We're trying to answer the question, why hell? And another one is, we belittled the glory of God by dishonoring him. When you dishonor God, it it belittles his glory. So so let's start kind of unpacking this and illustrating it. Each one of us has an innate sense of justice. It's just something we're born with, especially kids. Like if you cut in line on a fifth grader, They've got something in them that knows that ain't fair, and they're going to put an end to that. There's just this innate sense of justice. Uh, I was on, getting on the flight to come home from Alaska. Ruth had already come home because I had to stay there longer, and I had too much water in my water bottle, which is if in the TSA line as you're about to go through the fancy stuff, that is a huge deal, apparently. And the crime for that, or I mean the, the punishment for that, I should say, is the shame, the absolute horror of you having to stand amongst all your peers and you have to basically go, yeah, I'm an idiot, and you have to sit there and dump it into their container in Fairbanks, Alaska. That's the punishment. And I was, as I did it, I was like, this is kind of funny. Glurg, 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 glurg. All right, this plane is safe. Uh, so as I did that, I, I had this sense of, okay, that's, that's fine. The, the punishment fits the crime. A little bit of embarrassment, tiny bit, and not much punishment, right? The same thing is true if you're going to be speeding your car, right? We know if you speed 10 over, you get a $124 ticket. We don't like it, but we don't argue with it because, yeah, okay, I was speeding. But if, there, if it was something completely different and you saw a law come in that was like, hey, if you speed 10 miles over, uh, we're going to make it so that the deputy pulls you out of the car and they chop off your pointer finger. We'd be like, uh, 
No. No, 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 no. That is not just. There's an innate sense of what should happen. Go back to the, the plane line. So I dump out my water, and then I'm about to go through everything. I send my bag through the, uh, you know, the conveyor belt thing. I stand in the one circle thing. I lift my arms, and all is good. And I walk out, and this, gr this grumpy lady comes out and says, whose bag is this? Fairbanks ladies are, yeah. <laughs> whose bag is this? And I was like, eh, it's mine. It was a hiking pack, so I was like, oh, it kind of looks, whatever. So I wasn't nervous or anything. I would packed it. And she said, okay, come stand over here. I said, okay, that's whatever. And then she said, you forgot something. And I was like, like, in life? Or what are we talking about here? And she said, you must have forgot something. She's like, wouldn't tell me. You forgot something in your bag. She wanted me to confess. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I forgot to fold my underwear before I put it in. Like, it's all just kind of put in there. You're right. And she said, uh, you're not leaving here till the cops come. And all of a sudden, I'm like, my justice little beacon is going off. Uh, I'm pretty sure something's wrong here. I dumped out my water, and I didn't even have a razor, and I, don't e I think I had fingernail clippers. Justice meter ain't working here. So she's like, you ain't going anywhere till the cops get here. My flight's leaving in like 25 minutes. And we're in Alaska. The guy's probably on a horse like 8,000 miles away. <laughs> so I was like, this is going to be great. I'll be stuck in Fairbanks, which is hell, and I won't be able to preach on hell. I'm not very happy about this. So I, I'm standing there. He actually comes very fast because she holds up a magazine, which isn't like the reading magazine. It's actually a clip that you put in a gun. And it's full of ammo, and it's from the, uh, my gun that's at home. I had checked this bag on the way up. I was going to carry it on on the way home and didn't realize that in a weird little side pocket, I had a magazine from when I like to just go shooting. All of a sudden, my justice meter was okay again. <laughs> oh, okay. I want TSA ladies to be very grumpy people. And I want them to look at people like me and go, you forgot something, and have the fear in them because that was the closest I've ever been to being a terrorist. <laughs> and I wouldn't have been able to make it on. So we have this innate sense of justice, especially because all that happened was the cop came in. He was like, oh, you're, you're an idiot. You forgot your clip. And he was like, yoink, put that in my pocket because it matched his gun. And then... Uh, <laughs> And he walked off, and so did I, and I got right on my plane, and all was well. So the justice meter, I, all I'm saying is our justice meter is something that's innate in us, and this is a problem for hell, because we have no problem with, yeah, we should be, you know, God is great, and he's merciful, and so heaven is amazing. But as soon as we start talking about how hell is awful, and it's horrifying, and it's frightening, and it's all these different things, our justice meter is like, ugh, this isn't, this, this doesn't feel right. And so what... Uh, Another way I think you can think about this is imagine, imagine that you are someone who uh, you're fast, you're speedy, right? And so you're able to, for seven days, you're able to walk up to different people and do the same thing to them, but they're different people in society. And I want us to gauge what we, how we feel justice would be for them. So let's say you walk up to your friend, a very close friend, and you slap him on the face and you run away and you're fast, so you get away. And then the next day, you come back, and you slap them again, and you run away. And the third day, let's just go three days. A week is ridiculous. Three days, you slap them on the face, but this time he catches you. What's going to happen to you? You're going to get punched. He's going to slap you. 
you're going to get, you know, you're friends. So yeah, it's going to be like, ah, and then slap, and then he's going to be like, why did you do that for? And you're going to go to lunch, because you're friends. <laughs> that seems just because you're friends. Now let's go to, you're a parent, and you have a teenager, but it's an older teenager, like 17-ish, 16, 17, and they're doing all this stuff, and uh, whatever, they're talking, they just won't let it go, and you're the parent, and you slap them. All of a sudden, there's a lot of different thoughts in our heart right now, like, ugh, I ain't cool with that. Or some people are like, yeah, you slap them. That's what you do. There's a little bit of difference there. Now imagine your baby is crying. Three-month-old baby is crying. Oh, you're so cute. Stop crying. Slap. I just want you to imagine. I'm not saying not do it. How many's justice meter right now just went like bing, bing, ding, ding, red lights flashing, a horn going off, a siren? Yeah, we have this innate sense of justice. You're doing the same thing to different people. You're doing it to a friend. You're doing it to a 16-year-old who may or may not deserve it. And you're doing it to a baby who never in a million years would deserve that. Absolutely never, ever, ever. Your justice meter is going off. And what I want to argue is right now, it's the same thing. It's the same thread that's happening with God. Before we move this illustration to the king of the universe, let's take a second and actually think about who this being is, right? So there is this being amongst us who is eternal. Eternal. There is never a time where he wasn't. Mind-blowing. This being, uh, through the, the, the sound of his voice, created everything. He created the whole mountain range going from here to Fairbanks, Alaska, and that isn't even a fraction of what he's created for that we can see in this place alone. Washington is amazing. We have oceans, we have mountains, we have plains, we have all these different things. He, in the, by the voice of his mouth, created all that stuff, and it just was. And that doesn't even start to talk about the whole rest of the world that is absolutely amazing in, in uh, the jungles and the animals. The fact that my eyes, what they do, you know, the more you understand like that sort of thing, how they can see you and perceive you right now. Then when you think of the universe, yeah, he made the earth and that is mind-bogglingly awesome. Yeah, he made our solar system. Yeah, he made the, the Milky Way, which is what, like millions of stars? Yeah, he made that and he made like millions of other galaxies. Billions of stars, and they're saying that, is, that only represents like 4% of what we actually know about the universe. There is a being in our midst that spoke, and that came to be. Billions of stars, light years apart, and that being, by definition, has to be larger and wiser than what that represents. There is a being amongst us that is beyond comprehension, especially when you think of all the big stuff, and then you think of molecules, with the neutrons, and I didn't pay attention in that class. <laughs> small, spinning things, and it's super, super cool. So from small to huge, the glory of God is amazing. But it's not only just the creation of things. This being is, he, he never sleeps. He never tires. He's unshakably good, which is good for us, because it could have been really awful. He is unshakably good to the point where he's not even tempted by evil, ever. It never even crosses his mind. So there is a being amongst us that the only thing, the only word you can really use to describe him is holy, because that word means completely separate than everything else we know how to comprehend or experience. There is a being in our midst that is that huge and can do that much, 
now you take that and you put the illustration forward to that. You have slapped your friend, you have slapped whoever. What I'm arguing right now is we have essentially, by dishonoring God, by dishonoring his glory, by belittling his glory, we have walked up to the king of the universe, we've slapped him on the face and said, eh, unimpressed. I would much rather have fill in the blank. And we have turned our back on him, gave him the finger and said, I'll take this. Thanks very much. Not only, we haven't just done that once. We do that every single day. You realize that the sin that we call sin, and it's like this thing, right? But the sin, the sin that we commit isn't a problem because you're hurting other people or because you're hurting yourself or things like that. They are a problem because of that, but it's much bigger than that. When you lie, it's not that you're hurting someone else's feelings or a relationship. It's you are belittling the glory of God when you lie because he told you not to do that and it just goes against the very fabric of what he's put in you. Like he's, there's something in us, this consciousness that knows I'm not supposed to do that and you're going against it. When you, any sin, when you commit adultery, when you, uh, you grab for more power, when whatever it is, you're actually not only committing that sin against a person, it's the fact that you are belittling the God of the universe when you do that. You're turning your back on him and saying, nah. That's why sin is such a big deal. And that's why when you think about this, things start to come into proportion if you have both of those things uh, in mind. So let's go to verse 22. Um, We've got to unpack it a little bit more. Verse 22 in Romans 1 says, So, claiming to be wise, when, they, when we turned our backs on God, that's what we did. We basically said, well, we know better. When Adam and Eve ate, ate the fruit, it was essentially, yeah, you said this, but we know better. So claiming to be wise, they became fools, absolutely, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images meaning shadows, lesser things. We said, yeah, the glory of God is this, but I'd rather have the shadow of that glory, and I'd rather have a relationship with this person, or I would rather, you know, fill in the blank. We exchange the glory of God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. We give our hearts to all of that, and we have failed to give it to the one glorious one who deserves it. Um, so, So if I had to put a kind of a, a bow on that and wrap up the thought. Here is kind of my main, here's my main point. The horrors of hell, and again, they are, it's terrible. The horrors of hell are in direct proportion to the crime of belittling God's glory. They're in direct proportion. It's just. It's eye for eye, tooth for tooth. So, if that's the case, here's a, here's a question for you. This, this kind of helps you see, kind of helps you gauge where you see the glory of God and, and how open your eyes are. If you put yourself in God's shoes, all right? So, let's say you're standing, you're standing here, you are God, you have created people, and it is to magnify your glory, but they have all turned their backs on you and they have walked away. They have done what mankind has done and everything that the Bible um, says we've done. What, what do you think is just? Just think about that for a second. What do I think would be just? Because there's a scale here. Some of you are like, well, I think God should just make it clear to them. Yeah, they should, they should die, and that should be their only punishment, and then everyone goes to the same place. That's one option. Or you could say, well, I think that there should be a place where, yep, you die, and you stand before me, because I'm playing the role of God in this story. You stand before me, and I banish you to 
five years in, again, Missouri. That works, right? So there, there's a whole sense of, well, what would justice be? And wherever you land on that is how big or how small you see the worth and the value and the glory of God. Because if you say, well, the punishment for what we've done to God should only be very small. It should only be, shoot, call it what you want, purgatory or something like that, where you can redo it and then get to heaven. What you're essentially doing is you're looking at God and you're saying, come on, God, you're not that big of a deal. Like 50 years figuring it out is enough punishment for us going against you. And then we should all go here. That's the same way of saying, God, you're just you're not that big of a deal. So the way to flip this, I think, and to appreciate everything that's going on behind this door is to, to in your mind, whether this is a mental jump or it's already where you're at, is to assume for a second that this is absolutely just, that this is absolutely what we deserve. Everything that's behind that door, it's huge, it's horrific, it's very long-lasting, it's all these different things, and then to imagine for a second that that is just and what does that mean for what the value and worth and glory of God really is? If that's true and it's just, how huge and amazing and good and magnificent must God be? That is a, clear, a clearer way of seeing how grand God really is. And most of all, it's a clearer way of seeing what reality is going to be like over here. If the one who can create a hundred or billions or whatever it is, billions of galaxies, is the one who is living here and inviting people to be there, that sounds pretty awesome. Especially because the kind of the next thought in this is it's not just all impersonal. It's not just, yeah, he was able to create a huge thing. There are a lot of men in here and women who could create something awesome. There are a lot of people who could build a huge building and it would be magnificent. A lot of whatever, creativity. That, that, that means you're creative and it means you're good. The, the, and there's a glory to that. But what I'm saying is not only did God build and all that impersonal stuff, there is also a very personal side to his glory where he is inviting mankind into this whole process. He is essentially from the beginning said, I am creating you man to magnify my glory, to get you to say wow and to walk with me in that. And, and here's the, the kicker. God is the one being in the whole universe where self-exaltation is the most loving act. We hate people who do that, who exalt themselves and who think they're all that. So that's another reason why a lot of people have a big issue with hell. Like, come on, God, this is like, get over yourself. But God is the one being in all the universe where self-exaltation is actually the most loving act. Because as he exalts himself, as he shares himself, that actually brings us into greater joy. That is actually wonderful for us because that's when we see him more and then we're filled with everything that he created us to feel, feel and, and, and say and do and we worship and all this stuff. He is the one being where that is the most loving thing to do. So it's a, it's a personal glory too. So to reject the fact that he made the earth is one thing, then to re reject the fact that he is trying to reach to us and be in relationship to us, that is a whole nother realm of us turning our back on him. And then, not to mention, he sent his son in order to bring us back into a relationship with him. He sent his son to die on the cross, the punishment we deserved, to live the life we were meant to live, and then the punishment we were 
deserved to die. And then he rose again. So for us to say not only no to him through creation and glory, but for us to say no to his son is just another it's just another reason why the punishment does fit the crime. It is eye for eye, tooth for tooth. It is all that stuff until you introduce the idea that God is personal and he sent his son. Because here's the bigger reality. Your timeline is rushing toward eternity. Your timeline really is. And it's not stopping. We have no idea when you'll get there. The cool thing is, is God has come down into that timeline and he's put his son right in the middle of it. Jesus. And Jesus is standing here going, like, ready to grab you, you know? You have to literally walk around the sun in order to get to this place. He's like, nope, this place is really, really good. You want to go here? You have to literally push the sun out of the way to get to this place because God sent a way for us to go there. And Jesus isn't the only, like, standing at the door saying, hey, if you put your faith in me, yeah, I'll open the door for you. What he's saying is, nope, you put your faith in me and I'll walk with you from here on your whole timeline and I'll stay with you. And this isn't even something we have to consider. You will have peace. There is, I will cover you and I'm going to walk you straight into this place, whether it's in 80 years or whether it's in two months. That is what God has done. That is what he is up to. And he has literally sent his son to stand in our timeline and go like this. And you've got to push him out of the way in order to get uh, to this place. So this, this is only one small part of, of what's going on with heaven, what's going on with hell. But I think if it opens your eyes to why it's happening, it will make you long for this place even more. And that's a really healthy thing. So I've answered the question or I've begun, begun I hope, hopefully I've begun to answer the question, why? Why hell? Or said another way, why the hell? Because I can say that today. So now I have to end, and I need to answer the question, what? What the hell? Yeah. Uh, what do we do with this? Right? Like, you could walk out of here just believing it. Like, yep, cool. This is, this is better than going there. I want to go there. What I would say is, what you do with this is three things. The first thing is, is trust. Because you can't get to this one by yourself. You have already, I have already, it's the same for every single person. We have already belittled the the glory of God too much. It's in our nature now. We walk away from God. The only way you get here is by saying, Jesus, I trust that you died the death I deserve to die. I deserve this, but you died that death for me after living a perfect life. And you say, Jesus, I don't have all the answers, but I will start walking with you, and I trust that you'll take me there. I don't know everything about you, but I trust that Jesus will take me to the place I need to be. It starts with trust. You do not get there by yourself. You can't. It's impossible. There's no route there without Jesus. The second thing I think we need to do with this is marvel. We have lost that ability, I think. We've really lost that ability in, in our area especially. Imagine if you walked out of this place and you saw it as your life's mission to simply look for the glory of God in whatever way, shape, or form you can see it and then simply to magnify it, to glorify, like to see it and then to feel this overwhelming joy in that. Our job for the rest of our life is to marvel and magnify Marvel at and magnify the glory of God. Everything else is secondary, tertiary. You could be in the worst health or you could be in the worst financial straits. And from that place, if you decide that you are going to magnify the glory of God, it magnifies him more 
than if you are in a good place and you decide that you're going to find joy in God and things like that. So if you find yourself in a tough place, that is the best opportunity to magnify the glory of God by marveling at who he is and what he's done. And you can do that especially if you remember how short our time here really is. We'll be there soon enough. Whatever is going on in your life, it's hard and it's impossible. But if you walk through that with Jesus and you magnify the glory of God through it, it magnifies him all the more because you're doing it from a, a hard place and it shows the world something different. So, so we trust, we trust Jesus, we marvel, which is how we magnify the glory of God. And then I think we invite because everyone's timeline is heading the, to one of these. Let's just say it. So our job is to, like Jesus is standing there, the way that Jesus stands there is by us standing there and bringing Jesus to them and saying, no, you don't want to go there. I will walk you over to here. Just invite people into it. Invite it. Start with conversations, but invite them. Invite them to your life so they see what's going on. Invite them so that you can walk together to this place. Because the other thing is, is once you invite enough people and you're all walking on that timeline and you're heading here, and all your magnif like we all walk around with a magnifying glass. Once your magnifying glasses are all together, you're able to magnify the glory of God so much more when you're walking in a group. And it, it creates this, like, like this, it creates a movement. And that's what we're trying to do, is we're trying to get people to see the glory of God and to savor it and love it and then walk with us as we, you know, finish out this timeline and walk into this eternity that is absolutely amazing. So we trust, we marvel, and we invite. That's what we do. So I hope wherever, however you walked into this room, I hope your eyes are at least a little, they're opened a little bit more to why this is a thing. And I hope you see that God is so much bigger and so much better than anything we've ever dreamed of. I hope, for, I hope that for you. So let me pray. Lord, I am, I don't think about this nearly enough. I, um, I get trapped into thinking about what's, you know, what's next, what's for lunch, and then I get bogged down in the details of life. But when I am able to come up and get this sort of breath of air and to remember just how great you are, it really does put my life into perspective. And I pray that same blessing for everyone here as they, uh, as they sit here and try to learn more about you and then try to walk with you in real life. And I do pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so what is going on right now is it's five after. Uh, we usually go till 15 after. So uh, before I release you, actually, let me say, we're going to continue in the Heaven series next, uh, next week. Jake is going to do two more Sundays on Heaven. He really is going to do two series on Heaven. So it's all happy from this point forward. I won't be back to talk about hell, which is great. Uh, so heaven is coming up, so invite everyone to that. And then the thing is, so we usually go till 12.15. That means for the next 10 minutes, your calendar has you here. So what we're going to do is we're going to release you with the hopes that you'll just linger and like get to know each other a bit. We're trying to be intentional to leave you some time to get to know each other. To also help, help with that, we went ahead and chained the doors so you can't get out for 10 minutes. <laughs> Great, don't worry about that. Uh, so with that... I will see you out there, and I hope you have the best week of your life. I'll see you next time.